All right, good to be with you today uh, as we start a brand new series called What the Heart Wants. But before we do that, I'm going to take a moment. just want to speak to us uh, as a body of Christ about the things that have happened in our area over the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, two extremely tragic events involving the loss of life. And I want to speak to that for a moment of what do we do with that as followers of Christ. And I've talked to so many of you and you've experienced uh, feelings of fear, uh, feelings of just uh, brokenness and grief, uh, great empathy for those who have experienced a loss. And I wanna say a couple of things about those feelings and, and what it is that has happened in our community. And the first thing I want to lift up for us is that as followers of Christ, we are not a people of fear. That we are people of hope. That doesn't mean that there aren't scary things that happen. But in the midst of that, we know that we have a God who has overcome the world. And we know that we're not made for this broken world, but that we are made for heaven and eternity with God. And this is another reminder to put our eyes upward to look to Christ and, and what it is that he is doing. The second thing that I, I wanna lift up is that the feelings of fear of brokenness are normal uh, and we need to deal with them. And I want you to understand that they give us a window into the heart of God as well. Because as broken as you feel for the loss and the, the hurt and the pain of our community, God feels that infinitely more. And I've been speaking to a couple of folks in, in my own little circle and, and how really what has happened for us, and let's just be honest, is that all that's really happened is that we for a moment have been allowed the gift to feel what many of the people in our community feel all the time. Where they're constantly surrounded by violence and brokenness and hurt and pain. And we have felt it for a short little window. And I want to ask you to prayerfully consider what God experiences for the weight of sin for all of time. That what you felt for a moment, God has felt since the beginning of the moment that sin entered the world. And he didn't run from it, but he stepped into it and gave his son and his son bore that into his body and felt the weight of violence, of loss, of grief, of pain for all of the time that sin has existed and will exist. And has created a way for us into freedom and hope. All right, the third thing I want to lift up for us is that this is why we're called to be the church that we cannot just believe without living belief. And it's everything from a smile to a stranger, to an encouragement, to communicating to, that someone is valuable and that they matter. It's to making Christ the center of our home and our lives, to being a missionary in your workplace and in your school and your neighborhood and engaging in the ministries of Get Well Church and beyond that we're called to bring a light into this very dark world. Because we can believe and trust and get into heaven, but that's not God's 
only plan for your life. If our only goal was to get to heaven, the moment you confess faith in Christ, you'd be beamed up to heaven. But God wants to bring heaven into your world and to those around you. And this is why we're called to be the church. So I, I want us to keep that in mind as we continue to, to watch the news and gracious social media and just the, all the, the fear that, that arises that we are not people of fear. That God is brokenhearted and he's got a plan and we're part of that plan. So before we even get into the message, I just want to say a prayer over us and our community and specifically, I hope and I pray that, that you will allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart and your mind of what is your response need to be right now. All right, so let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your kingdom that breaks into the darkness. That light has come into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. I thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love and compassion and mercy, that you do feel our pain and you took it into yourself and you took it to the grave to destroy it forever. Thank you for the hope of heaven, for the hope of eternity. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be a part of your kingdom work here in DeSoto County and Memphis and every place you send us. God, make us a people of hope, of truth, of love, of mercy, of kindness. Lord, as your scripture tells us, Lord, let us not be overcome by evil, but we overcome evil with good. And we know that that is the purpose you placed upon us. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. What is the one thing that you're calling us to do or be about in this season? And we pray this in Jesus' name and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we are in a series called What the Heart Wants. And really, th this is deeply related to what we're talking about because so much of the pain and the heartache and the brokenness of our world is in pursuit of a, a false desire of the heart that leads us to pain and heartache and death. And God has a plan and a purpose and a path for us that doesn't lead to death, but it leads to life. And it is this path of understanding the true desires of our heart. Because every single one of us have a desire, a longing for something more, certainly more than what we've seen in the last week, but even in the best of moments, something more than what we see or experience in this world around us. Now, the scripture talks about this uh, pretty plainly. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, this is what it says. He has made everything beautiful in its time, talking about God. But he has also set eternity where? In the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That God has placed an eternal desire and longing for us in our heart, in the deepest places of our being, so that when we long for something more, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing, because God placed that there that we might search for him. That even when we don't know what God has done from beginning to end, even when we don't even know what God is doing right now in this moment, that we are longing for him. And he's placed that within us. But what's the problem? Is that sin has got in the way 
And that desire that God has placed in the heart has become twisted, it's become marred, and and it's expressing itself in a way that doesn't lead us to God, but it leads us to self. This happened in the very beginning of the biblical story, Genesis chapter 3. Look what happens. The serpent speaking to the woman, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Here in Genesis 3 verses 4 through 6, the first sin of all creation. And it was not eating the fruit. It happened just before she ate of the fruit. Look what happened. She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. Those were things that God had placed in her heart to find in him, not in what he had made. And yet she believed in that moment that there was something better than what God had to offer, that some way, somehow God was holding out on her and that she needed to take it into her own hands to find what her heart was really looking for. And you and I do that as well when we believe that God is holding out on us or there's just something better than what God offers and we turn what God created into an ultimate thing, what God created into a God thing in our life and we place it at the top as our number one pursuit above God and in that moment we give our hearts over to what we call idols. An idol being anything that that we look to for our primary satisfaction, meaning, and purpose in life. And this has been the problem of humanity since Adam and Eve took and ate that fruit. And so we got to be very, very careful that we're not just listening to our heart. Isn't that the world says, right? Just follow your heart, do what your heart says, right? Like you owe it to yourself. But the problem is, what if my heart is not telling me the truth? What if what I really think my heart wants is not really deeply what my heart wants and it might feel good in the moment, but ultimately it makes my heart sick and eventually leads me to death? What if my heart is deceptive? Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. The heart is a deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And in the pursuit of our immediate feelings of twisted desires, marred and broken by sin, that our desires not bringing us to God, but bringing us to self, that maybe God's holding out on me and there's something better. That pursuit and giving our lives over to idols has brought destruction, not only into the world, but into many of our lives. And this has always been a problem. It was a problem throughout history. It was a problem when Jesus showed up on the, on the planet. And it was a problem when the early church began its movement. And it was such a problem for the early church. And they spent a lot of time and energy speaking against it. Uh, one of the primary moments of scripture, if you want to go read this week, is Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 31. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to the city of Athens. And while he's walking around in the city of Athens, he looks around and he sees all these idols everywhere. 
And his heart was broken. And he's looking at these statues and these temples. And he came to one and it said, a statue to an unknown God. And Paul thought, here's my moment. And so he gathered those who would listen. And he said, you see this statue to an unknown God? This is your attempt to kind of, uh, you know, cover your bases. That some way, somehow, there's a God that you missed. And so you just want to make sure that you get all the boxes checked. And he said, this one is the only real one. And the problem with it is, is you don't know the name or the identity of who it really is. And this one God, which is the only God, the true God, is the one who created all things, gives you life, and he is the God who will come to judge. Now, you and I are reading it on the other side uh, of these events. We can cheer for Paul like, yeah, go, Paul, get him. That's right. Uh, you put him in their place. And we forget how much idols are prevalent in our world, but even more. If we're honest, how idols can be prevalent even within the life of the church, even in your heart and mine. And idols can be everywhere. Now, the problem is most of us don't recognize idolatry in our world. And I would suggest for you that there's probably three primary reasons why we don't recognize the idols in our world. I think one of the reasons is that idols have always been a part of our world. And we're kind of like a fish in water. As a fish doesn't realize it's living in water, many of us don't realize that we're living in idolatry because it's always been a part of our experience. And we cannot see it because many of us without effort, without the grace of God, without a full surrender to the, to the work of God and the truth of God in our lives, we don't know anything other than that. I think a second reason that we often don't recognize idols is that idols have become normalized in our world. The world just says, you know, this, this is the normal way of life. There's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, it's the people who completely sell out for Jesus and turn their back on the world. That's not normal. Those are the weird people. Those are the people that need to figure something out. And the rest of us have got it figured out. But here's the problem. Is if you want to go along with the rest of the world and what they're doing, you're going to get what the rest of the world gets. You want more violence, more heartache, more brokenness, more division, more anxiety, more fear, then follow the rest of the world with what's normal. And then a third reason, and this is, I think, the scariest of all, is that our world celebrates the idols of our world. It's not just that it's normal, but we've turned it into a virtue. And that means for us as Jesus followers, it's even more difficult, even in our part of the world, I mean, it's a whole other discussion when people are losing their lives and losing their jobs and losing their family for following Jesus. But even for us, it's difficult to go all in on following Jesus because there's this seductive call of the world that celebrates the idols of our world. It says, it, th these are things that you should be pursuing right along with God. And we're silenced, we're canceled, we're, we're pushed out if we say anything else. And it's real easy for us to point fingers at other people and say, you know, like this is things that happens to other, other folks, this didn't happen to me. But we need to be honest with ourselves of how we might be sometimes seduced into that call to put things at least on the same level with God, if not above him.
And this is a deep, deep, deep problem. It's not just semantics. It's not just uh, words. This is something that is deeply centered to our salvation and our life. It's not just something about behavior. It is something that happens in the heart. Ezekiel chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open there. Uh, I want us to see the truth here about how deep this problem is. All right, Ezekiel is writing around 589 BC. And he's speaking to the leaders of Israel. Their city's about to be destroyed. God is about to bring judgment on Jerusalem. They're about to be defeated by the Babylonian empire. Uh, Those who are not killed or die of disease or starvation are gonna be captured. They're gonna be imprisoned. They're gonna be taken away from their home to Babylon and other parts of the world where they'll live in slavery. And the people are seeing what's about to happen. The the city's about to come under siege for two years and then they're gonna be destroyed and the temple's gonna be destroyed and the leaders are starting to see what's gonna happen. And so they now begin to call out to God. And then what we do when things get really bad, then we start to pray. And this is what they're doing and this is Ezekiel's response. All right, some of the elders of Israel came to me, this is Ezekiel, and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, These men have set up idols in their, where? In their hearts. And put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. See, their their idols were not helping them. They were a stumbling block. They were preventing them from living the life that they wanted to live. Why? Because it had been rooted in their heart. Said, should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their, where at? Hearts. and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet. The Lord will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to do what? To recapture their, the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Everything God does in your life and mine and in the world is to recapture the hearts that we've given away to things that can never give life. And it becomes so deeply rooted in our identity and our thinking and our feeling that we often don't even realize that it's there, right? It's always been there, it's been normalized and it's celebrated and we get lost in the mess of all of it. These are the same things that were happening in the first century as Paul was walking through Athens. The idolatry of the world was so deeply rooted in their hearts, they could not see that it was everywhere, that it was normalized, that it was celebrated, but it was not giving them life. It was a stumbling block before their face that was preventing them from experiencing what their heart was really longing for. And what are some of the ways that they experienced that? Well, you walk through history, we see examples of just what Paul was seeing. Uh, One of the things that Paul might have seen were how people would gather at a temple that was built for Caesar. This was the Roman political leader. 
And based on fear of what would happen if they did not bow down to Caesar and based on fear of what would happen to their world if Caesar didn't have power and authority, they bowed down with allegiance and they said, Caesar, we give our devotion and our obedience to you. Now we can look at that and be like, why in the world would you worship a political figure? Well, that's what they did. Paul might have seen another form of idolatry where people would gather at huge uh, coliseums and temples that they would build. And they would paint their bodies and they would paint their faces and they had chants and they had rituals and they had songs that they would sing and they would gather and they would raise their fists and they would shout and they would praise the gods of their culture. And we can look at that and be like, well, why in the world would anybody do that kind of thing? Paul might have seen in the homes of individuals where they would take a wooden figure or a stone figure that was clearly created by human hands, maybe even themselves, they created it and put it in their home, but it became the center of their home and their center of their life and they would worship that man-made thing. And we look at that and be like, why would anybody do that? You just made that. Or Paul might have seen what would happen that was common in the Roman culture where people would gather for these wild parties and revelry and they would dance and they would give themselves to one another and and they would lose themselves with the hopes that they might feel alive and that the gods of the day would bless their life, make it worth living. And we're like, what in the world is wrong with you? But I would suggest to you that maybe we're not so far from that. I think we still have people who give their devotion and allegiance to political leaders out of fear with a hope that if I don't, then I'm not going to be okay. If I don't, if this person doesn't have power and authority, if the right person doesn't have power and authority, then I have this great fear over what's going to happen in my life. And we do more than just be engaged in the political system, but we get lost in it and we give our heart to it. And we demonize other people who don't see it the same way that we do. Or what about those of us who also paint our faces and our bodies and we gather at huge temples and coliseums that we build and we shout and we praise and we raise our fist for the gods of our day? Or what about those of us who would take a man-made thing and put it in our home as the center of our life, the center of our world, where everything revolves around that, that the hours tick by and we, we, lose, we lose sight of time as we give our heart and mind over to that and find our identity in that and find our meaning and purpose in that. Or maybe not somebody in this room, but how many of us in this world would would gather for wild parties of revelry with the hopes that maybe this will make me feel alive. And if I can give myself to this, then I can find the joy and the purpose and the meaning that I've been looking for in my life. Now, these things that we lift up, uh, uh, political leaders, uh, sports and entertainment, technology, uh, even uh, having a good time with friends, those don't have to be bad things. And these can all be gifts that God has given in the created order, but they become life-taking things when they become ultimate things. 
When they're elevated above God to find what we're really longing for in life, they actually make our hearts sick and lead us to death. And we desperately need to be able to understand the difference between something that is God and something that is created and put them in the proper order. You see, unlike idols, the God of the universe cannot be manipulated and he cannot be manufactured to get what we want. He is a God who is sovereign over all. He is Lord over all. And our only fit response is to bow and worship and surrender to him. Not to get something from him, but understanding he is the source of all life. And we desperately need to be able to start to point out where in my life, regardless of what anybody else may do, where in my life has God been brought down a notch from where he rightly belongs in my, my heart and mind? Where's my heart being drawn towards something that will make me sick or lead me to death ultimately because I'm looking for something to give life that can never give life? So over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna talk about the dangers of idolatry. Then we're going to talk about how to, how to get rid of idols in our lives. But it starts with an awareness of where those idols are, are at work in our lives. Now, I came across a really uh, helpful, important book by a guy named Timothy Keller. Many of you have heard of him. It's called Counterfeit Gods. I found this to be a really helpful resource as we look to try to identify the idols in our life. And in this book, he talks about the difference between a surface idol and a deep idol. And, and I wanna spend a few minutes talking to you about deep idols in our lives. Because here's what happens. We, we are easily able to identify what I would call surface idols. These are things that, that you can see with our behavior. You, you can see with our attitudes and thinkings. But almost always those surface idols are rooted in what I'm gonna lift up as four deep idols of our life. And here's what happens. When I deal with the surface idol, without getting to the root of what that really is, all I'm gonna do is replace it with another surface idol. Things like money and sex and entertainment and, and sometimes other people. Those are surface idols that are tied to deeper idols that must be dealt with in our hearts. Because what did Ezekiel say? The word of the Lord was they have set up idols not around them. They have set up idols in their hearts. All right, so what are those deep idols that we need to be aware of? The first one is the idol of power. Now we need to watch out for the idol of power in our world, in our lives, in our hearts. And the idol of power would say that as long as someone or some institution has authority, has power, then that will give me safety and significance and meaning in my life. And as long as the right people have power, or if I have power, then my world is gonna be okay. And the deep problem with this is that it swaps out the lordship of Christ for the lordship of a human being or the lordship of some institution. And there is only one who can bear the weight of all authority and all power and who's worthy of that, and it is Jesus Christ. And we've gotta be very careful where we give our hearts to an institution or a person, giving them authority and power in our world, 
hoping that they're going to give us safety, significance, and meaning. Well, what are some of the ways that we see this in surface idols? You might see it uh, in a pursuit of influence for the sake of influence. You might see it in the pursuit of money, that, that if, I, if I have enough money built up, then I've got enough power to provide security and I don't have to worry about anything. The problem is many of us, we've talked about before, you can pile up the money and the worries just pile up with it. Many of us, it, it, maybe it's not influence or money, maybe it's your career and your job. If I can climb the ladder and get the power, then there's the purpose and the meaning that I'm looking for. We gotta watch out for this idol of power. Uh, another one, another deep idol that we gotta watch out for is the idol of comfort. And the idol of comfort would tell us that momentary, immediate sensations of pleasure, a lack of suffering, of having this ultimate comfort right now is the ultimate and highest good. And we see it and we are bombarded by it every single day. Every time you see a commercial on TV, they're pulling on your heartstrings with the idol of comfort. I mean, think about it. When you see a, an advertisement for a car or a product or, or any other thing, they're selling you the idol of comfort and they're telling you it's not just this is a good product that's reliable and effective and it's worth what it costs. They're telling you that you're going to experience the life that you're looking for. They're pulling on the, the idol of comfort. And we've got to be very careful that we don't give our hearts over to the idol of comfort because when we do that, here's what we're doing. We're trading what we want right now which is not even really what we deeply want, for what we want most. We're sacrificing the deepest longings of our heart, what we really want most for some feeling right now that's soon gonna fade and go away. That's why we continue to shop and spend money and look for the next thing because it doesn't fulfill forever. That's a bad trade. And so we've got to watch out for this idol and, and know that God has given us eternal things that our hearts long for. So how do we experience this and the surface idols of our lives? It might be you know, shopping. It might be sex. It might be a relationship. Uh, it might be just materialism. And we've got to be careful watching out for those idols in our life. A third one. A deep idol is the idol of approval. And the idol of approval says that as long as I can get somebody or the right somebody to like me, accept me, and respect me, then I'll have the purpose and meaning that I'm looking for. The problem with that is, number one, is that you ultimately cannot please everybody and you certainly can't even please one somebody all the time. We're going to let people down and we're going to hurt them and they're going to hurt us. And we need to understand that putting that weight on ourselves or someone else is a crippling weight that will always, 100% of the time, set you and them up for disappointment. There's only one who's worthy and able to bear the weight of giving us meaning and purpose and it's the one who created us. Not somebody created, but the one who creates our God who came into our world through his son that we might understand his love for us. 
And how do we experience this idol of approval? Uh, it might be uh, in social media addiction of just looking for the next like uh, or just wanting to be known. Uh, there, there's a new app out that, that's kind of taken hold. It's this app called Be Real, where people just want to know that their experiences are normal and acceptable. And so they want to see a snapshot of somebody else's moment in that time. And it's just this draw, like, I, I want to feel accepted for my life. It might be showing up in codependency, that we're looking for our meaning and life with another person and so our identities get enmeshed with one another. It might be as we are so pursuing popularity that we compromise our values and beliefs to make other people like us. We're gonna watch out for this idol of approval. And then finally, the deep idol of control. We have got to watch out for this idol that tells us that we should be and can be in control of our own lives and the circumstances around us. And y'all, this is built on a lie that there's most of life is out of our control. And that's okay because we have a God who is in control. And most of the time, if not all the time, when we try to grip onto control, what we do is we end up messing everything up because we can't see the future. We can't even always see our own motives. And we hurt ourselves and others with this idol of control. Now, how do we see this? Sometimes it might end up in just controlling behavior. It might uh, show up in our manipulative behavior. Uh, it might show up in just chronic anxiety when something is not under our control. We have to watch out for this, which begs the question, if these are four deep idols that work in my heart, how can I begin to see them? Because <laughs> right, here's what I know about you because it's true of me and it's true of every human being on planet earth. It's why Jeremiah 17, nine says that the heart is deceptive above all things as we lie to ourselves. We are not good at telling ourselves the truth about what's happening in our life, especially if we don't like it. And we will change everything around us to not have to deal with it. In fact, when our belief comes into conflict with our behavior and the draw of the culture, nine times out of 10, we will change our belief instead of our behavior. We need to be able to tell ourselves the truth. So how do we do this? Let me give you three quick reasons as we close out. Three things we can do to look for the idols in our life. Here's the first one is we've got to look out for great fear of loss. Whenever I have something in my world that I am so deeply afraid of losing, whether it's a person or a job or an experience or an identity, I am so chronically afraid and anxious and worried of losing that, that, that I can't move forward in freedom, that I can't listen to the voice of God and obey Him if it comes into conflict with losing that thing, that I might have an idol in my life Many of us are unwilling to step toward a call of God because we're not willing to lose a paycheck or a way of living or a relationship or an experience when God is calling us to greater things, but that idol is a stumbling block before our face that we can't move toward God. This is a big sign that we might have an idol in our life. A second way to recognize idols is if I look to anything or person for a source of meaning, purpose, and satisfaction above God. 
That if I'm looking to that job or that relationship or that entertainment or that experience or whatever it might be, that person as my primary source of this is what life is about. I mean, this is, this is easy to pick on in our part of the world, but if your whole life is built around Saturdays for college football, that might be an idol in your life. And that can be a good thing, a fun thing, but if it's the ultimate thing, then that's gonna destroy you. If we're looking for a career to provide our ultimate purpose, what happens if we lose that career? Just a couple of weeks ago, the CFO of one of the major corporations in the United States jumped off a building in New York City because they had to lay some people off in their corporation. There was an idol of purpose in his life. If we're looking to anything for satisfaction above God, that could be an idol in our hearts. And then number three, what, what can we look for? When any person or thing becomes an object of devotion and obedience. Devoted to anything above God, it becomes an idol. It could be security, it could be family. Listen, for some of us, what happens is we realize as we run through this lens of devotion and obedience, we realize we turn our own children into idols. We are so devoted to their happiness and their well-being and their future that we don't ever stop to ask what God might want to do in their life. Some of us, we do this with our career. We do this with a spouse or we do this with, with all kinds of things, right? Only one belongs in this place of devotion and obedience. And if the choices and decisions in your life are conflicting with what we see of Scripture, if we even look at Scripture, we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to be devoted to God because He's the only one who gives life. And here's what it comes down to is you and I, we have to be honest with ourselves. We must be willing to speak truth, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak truth in us. Lord, where am I missing the mark in my life? Where have I put something above you? And if there's something that is calling for your devotion and obedience above God, if the heart's deep longing within you is not lining up with what you're feeling like you want right now, why is that? Where did we miss it? Come back to the basics. Lord, I need you. Jesus, save me. Lord, forgive me. Teach me your ways. Pull me to you. Let the deeper longings rise to the surface. I wanna say yes to you. And I'm begging you, as you speak truth, as the Lord speaks truth, be willing to walk away from the things that are making your heart sick. And we're gonna talk about in these coming weeks of how to do that. But I wanna ask you to make that commitment today. And so these prayer rails are gonna be open. If you wanna pray, you can pray in your seat. If you'll stand, I'm gonna pray for us as we get ready to sing. But as we're singing this last song, if you wanna spend some time listening or talking to God about putting Him in the ultimate place of your life, I encourage you to do that. Don't miss this moment that, that could be the catalyst moment for everything moving forward. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for 
caring so much about us, Lord, that you entered into our space, you entered into our world, you took on human life, God, that you could bear sin in your body and destroy it forever, that this doesn't have to be uh, our future. We can be free from sin and idolatry. Our hearts, hearts can come alive, Lord, based on your truth and your power and your love. So real simply, Lord, send your Holy Spirit right now, manifest your presence in this place, speak truth to our hearts, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to understand that we can be reshaped by your truth and, and your gospel, your mercy, your grace. Set our eyes on heavenly things, not earthly things. Walk away from the things that make our hearts sick and walk toward life right now in this moment, a commitment to you. Come and give us faith to make that choice, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.